Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Good morning, Mount Zion. Thanks for gathering with us online. There are two things that my parents were very intentional and persistent, and I would say even passionate about, that they would again and again and again do while I was growing up. And while I was growing up and observing this, I was never thankful for it. But the things that they were committed to was that of cautioning me. Uh, I can remember lectures again and again as I left the house, my parents hassling me and cautioning me against living in a fallen world, about the temptations that I may see or may experience or may witness that day. Quite honestly, I wish that they would just have recorded it so that I could have played it instead of just sitting underneath that lecture, lecture, lecture. And I never, not one time growing up, did I ever say to my parents, hey, thank you for all the caution, for all the warnings that you are giving me. Not one time did I ever say that. Not only did they caution me a great deal, but they also corrected me a great deal. Anytime that I would go my own way, anytime I would violate the values or the expectations of our home, my parents were quick to correct me. And when you hear the word correction, it always sounds so negative. But as I have gotten older, I have realized that both the caution and the correction that my parents constantly gave me again and again was actually rooted out of a deep and abiding love for me. They loved me, therefore they cautioned me, and therefore they corrected me. Anytime I was disobedient, anytime I acted in rebellion, the motivating factor for my parents correcting me and cautioning me was always, always love for me. And the passage that we're going to look at today, it offers both a caution as well as a correction. And Christ, his motivating factor for cautioning us this morning and correcting us this morning, make no mistake about it, it is out of a deep love for you and a deep love for me. In fact, he is going to caution us and he is going to correct us in order to create and to maintain a constant dependence upon him and him alone. So the historical context of Mark chapter nine, it is very interesting and it is very important for us to learn from this morning. So Jesus is coming off the Mount of Transfiguration, where three of the disciples who have accompanied him this particular day, the veil of doubt has been removed. Jesus has revealed himself in such a powerful and glorious way that all doubt has been removed. They know that this is the one that the prophets gave vision to, that they forecasted. 
They know in this moment that this is the one who will fulfill the law. They know that this is the one. This is the one that the hope of the world must be in and Jesus alone. And Jesus comes off the mountain and he is greeted immediately with this shocking and destructive and distorting evil. And the proximity between the Mount of Transfiguration and this destructive evil that we see, it is very important because the evil that Christ encounters, it can only experience healing and restoration by him alone. You see, the Son of God, it is the hope that fulfills the law. It is the promise that fulfills our heart's desire. It is what the prophets, the one and only hope that they spoke of. And Jesus is the answer. He is the antidote. He is the solution of the temptation that we face and the struggles that we have. So Jesus comes down off the mountain and he immediately walks into an argument between the remaining disciples and the scribes. And the scribes, they are looking for an opportunity to build a case against Jesus. They are trying to convince the audience that's listening that Jesus is a fraud, that he is a blasphemer, they are building a case that will ultimately lead Jesus to the cross. And the disciples were standing there and a father brings a young boy before them who is possessed with an evil spirit. And the father is begging and he is pleading that the disciples do something about it that they bring healing. So Jesus asked the question in verse 16, speaking to the disciples, but specifically he's talking to the scribes this morning. And he says, what are you arguing about? The question is directed to the scribes that the father of the young boy steps up to the mic and he answers. And the father says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whatever it does, it, it seizes him and it throws him to the, the ground and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. There are two important factors and realities that we can learn from the Father's answer in this moment. What we see is we see a graphic description of what evil is and what it does to us. Anytime that you see Jesus interacting with a possessed individual throughout scripture, the purpose of those descriptive attributes is to display to us the tragic, the destructive nature of sin and of evil in our world. So verse 22, the man reports, and, and it has often cast him 
into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And isn't this what evil does? Isn't this what sin does in our life? Evil, it is always destructive. Evil always produces in us guilt, shame, and condemnation. It never produces good. It never gives life. It never leads to fruit. It never leads to peace and reconciliation and truth. Evil never leads to freedom. Evil is evil, and that's the bottom line. The problem with this reality is that evil doesn't always seem bad. Evil doesn't always appear to be evil. It doesn't always appear to be destructive. For instance, if a man sees a beautiful woman and in his heart he begins to lust, well, the man doesn't see evil. He sees attractiveness. He sees beauty. All the while, that lust in that man or in that woman's heart, it is destructive to the marriage. It is destructive to their relationships. It is destructive to his heart or to her mind. Evil is evil. If you're listening to gossip, in the moment, it doesn't always seem to be evil. It's, it's enticing, it's seductive, but it is actually eroding your character and your reputation. In order to build yourself up, oftentimes we actually begin to tear someone else down. It's not good. It's terrible. It's destructive. It's toxic. If you break the law and you get away with it, you get this rush and you feel like you have this power and it feels good in the moment, but make no mistake about it, it is destructive. Rebellion is never good. Disobedience is never good. Gossip, lust, stealing, pride, it is never good. It is all evil. And I would ask the question of you this morning, I believe Christ, through the working of the Holy Spirit, leans into you and to me this day. And he asks the question, where in your life are you tempted to look at what God says is evil and see it less than evil? Where is sin so seductive for you, so deceptive, so attractive? Where, because of the attraction, because of the pleasure, have you justified it? Have you excused it? Have you said, well, everybody struggles in this area? Where have you convinced yourself that the evil that exists in your life, you have convinced yourself that it's only affecting you, that it's not affecting the people in close proximity to you. You see, sin is never an isolated individual act or state of being. It affects everyone around us, those that we love, those that we care about. 
it never stays hidden. It is always, always revealed over time. The second thing that we learn is we have to embrace our absolute powerlessness to defeat evil in ourselves. You see, you have no independent authority apart from Christ. You have no independent power to defeat evil apart from the working of the Holy Spirit that comes through the death, burial, resurrection of Christ Jesus. Now, you may be able to manage the evil in your life. You may be able to address, you may be able to expose, but you cannot kill it apart from Christ. So when the disciples, in their unbelief, in their self-reliance, try to deliver this boy from evil, they discover that they have no power. You see, the resurrection of Christ Jesus argues our hopelessness. The resurrection of Christ Jesus, it argues our helplessness. In other words, there is no power within us apart from the dwelling of the Holy Spirit and his transforming grace in our lives. So as you continue to read the report from the Father, Jesus says, O faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring the little boy to me. So Jesus, in this moment, he is saying, how how greater of an example can I be? I mean, you've seen the way that I minister to a broken and to a hopeless world. You've seen the way that I I love my neighbor. You've seen the authority that comes through my name that even evil itself flees at the very mention of the name Jesus Christ. But in this caution and in this correction, there's a tremendous amount of grace. Jesus isn't saying, you guys, you're, you're never gonna get it. You're always a disappointment. You always seem to drop the ball. Every opportunity that presents itself over and over and over, you seem to fail. That's not what Jesus is saying in this moment. In both caution and correction, he is actually calling his disciples closer and to create a more dependence on him and him alone. So as the boy is brought to Christ, he is going through convulsions and he falls on the ground and he's rolling and he's foaming at the mouth. I mean, this is a tremendously ugly scene. It has to be traumatic for the father, heartbreaking for the father, and quite honestly, scary for all the spectators that are are, are looking on. And out of compassion, Jesus asked the question, how long has this been happening? And the father responds, since childhood. And then goes on, Jesus, if you can do anything, will you have compassion? And will you help us? You've been there. I, I, I know I have. 
where our situation seems so dire, so frustrating, so disappointing, so helpless. We've dealt with the evil in our lives for so long that we feel like there is no hope. And we pray out, we cry out. If there is any hope, it has to come through Christ and Christ alone. And Christ, if you can, will you have compassion? Will you help? And Jesus' response to this father is his response to us in those seasons and in those moments. Jesus responds, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Jesus is saying, sir, your problem and your son's problem is not my ability. It is your inability to fully believe that all things are possible far beyond anything that you can imagine through me. You see, our problem is not that God lacks power. Our problem is not that God lacks the willingness to heal or to restore or to redeem. You see, the problem is oftentimes our unbelief. We limit in our hearts the power of God because of our unbelief. To hear me this morning, God is able and he is willing. So the father cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. What a humble and beautiful confession. You see, oftentimes we believe, we live by faith, but not always. You see, there are moments when we panic and we forget that God is ultimately sovereign and in control. We forget that God is for us and that he stands with us. There are moments that we do things in our own strength, forgetting the hope that we have in his power and through his presence. There are moments that we live for his kingdom, forcefully advancing it here on earth. But if we were honest, there are moments that we would rather tend our own kingdom or advance or grow our own kingdom. There are moments when you would feel tempted that you would actually make a better sovereign than our sovereign God. God, I believe, but will you help my unbelief? So as Jesus sees the crowd coming to close, he rebukes the unclean spirit and he says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And scripture then reveals that the evil spirit, it, it fled, it left the young boy, leaving him lying there like a corpse. You see the power of Jesus, the power of his words, the power of his presence where nothing else seems to work, but Jesus, his power, his presence, it can produce in us what we could never produce ourselves. So they say he, he must be dead, but he, he wasn't. In fact, this young boy had never been more alive than that moment. 
And some of us in, in our sin, we feel dead. And Christ is always there inviting us to step into the life that he has for us. Always cautioning, always correcting. And as Jesus and the disciples, as they draw to an isolated place, the disciples finally have the boldness to address the elephant in the room. And they ask the question in verse 28, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Do you see what just happened? What just took place? Jesus is saying in other words, boys, the reason that you were helpless, the reason that you were hopeless, the reason that you could not do anything in this moment is because you didn't start with prayer. And this should be shocking to us. It should also be revealing to us and therefore, because of Christ's love and power and compassion for us, it should be convicting to us. And God wants to correct us in this moment. You see, how are we doing with this? Do we enter into every decision that we make, every conversation that we have, every hopeless, seemingly hopeless experience that we step into, do we start with prayer? Do we pray for God's will? Do we pray for God's best? What was in the disciples in which convinced them that they thought that they even had a chance when standing in front of such evil that they could do it on themselves, on their own? Are you kidding me? And Jesus invites you and me this morning into a reality that we never have to go alone, that we are always called and we are privileged and we are honored to invite his presence and his wisdom and his redemption and his power and his nature. Every step we take, every word we speak, everything we do. In other words, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. This is why Paul says in Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Some translations say pray and never stop. So wives, as you have to approach your husband with a difficult conversation, are you beginning in prayer? If you get a check and it's more money than what you were expecting, do you pray, God, thank you for this blessing. How would you have me invest and steward it? As you're parenting your kids and they are pushing you to the very brink of insanity? Do you pause and do you first pray? As you're dealing with a difficult boss or coworker, 
and your blood pressure is beginning to rise and your frustration is increasing, do you first pray? When you're dealing with a difficult neighbor, do you first pray? This is the invitation that we find in Mark's gospel beginning chapter nine, where he says, do everything through prayer. Over the next 21 days, we're going to put this into practical application. You're gonna receive an email later today, or you can go to our website and you can download 21 days of prayer. And this year, Miss Sandy and I, we have structured this resource a little bit differently, where it's not going to be laid out day one, day two, through day 21. Instead, it's going to invite you to linger. It's going to invite you to engage different models of prayer different, during different seasons of your life. So the goal is not to get through every prayer in the next 21 days. The goal and the win and the purpose is an invitation to our community to gather together as we pray together, as we lean into the examples of scripture and we learn the beautiful and the redemptive nature and discipline and celebration of prayer. So thank you in advance for partnering with us in this adventure. And it is going to bear wonderful and great fruit. And we're so excited next Sunday to gather together here in person and online. And we hope that you have a blessed and a wonderful day. Church, you are loved and we are thankful for you. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.